This is a Rooster Teeth production. Madame Deficy, L'Autrichien, Madame Vito. Those are just three examples of not-so-flattering nicknames for Marie Antoinette. She was hated for sure, but did she really deserve to lose her head? Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we explore topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature pulled from history and the headlines of today. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. October 5th, 1789. The markets of Paris awoke to the flood of Parisian women trickling in to do their daily shopping. Feet shuffling on cobblestones, the first cracks of sleepy voices, horse hooves on gravel. On this particular morning, something felt different. As the market began to fill, the chatter shifted tone. The women were horrified at the cost of le pain quotidien, the daily bread. Judging by the cost and supply, they guessed it wouldn't be too long before their families were starving if they weren't already. It's what we're dealing now with the cost of eggs, Jess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see those egg prices and you're yeah, like... Sure, sure did. Just bought some this weekend. Yeah. Um, yes, and anger accompanied the sense of horror. A grain crisis had plagued the country for years already. Most workers spent half their income on bread, and it was hard to find and very expensive. And earlier that summer, rioters looking for guns and grain had stormed the Bastille, a prison fortress in the center of Paris. There were rumors that the French royal family was intentionally trying to starve the Third Estate, which means the poor members of the working class. Tensions were indeed rising. A drumbeat could be heard that morning in the eastern markets of Paris. These pissed off mobs started to snake their way through the arrondissements. It was not long before the crowd ballooned with a restless energy. Church bells sounded the alarm for protest. Women in the market started to take up arms in the form of kitchen knives and makeshift weapons. Soon, an angry mob estimated at around 10,000 Parisians converged on the city hall of Paris demanding bread and guns. A man in the crowd cried, A Versailles! To Versailles! Let's go! Quickly, the crowd shifted their attention to the residents of Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. In the pouring rain, thousands of angry market women and some men marched the nine miles from Paris to Versailles, dragging with them several cannons from City Hall. (laughs) The French don't mess around. No, 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 no. (laughs) Cut to the next day, October 6th, 1789, six o'clock in the morning. The agitated crowd has broken into the palace and is calling for bloody death. A shot rang out. The palace guards had killed a protester. Enraged, the crowd surged forward. Battering and screaming ricocheted off the palace walls. The queen, Marie Antoinette, and her ladies ran barefoot, their feet padding quickly to the king's bedchambers. Marie Antoinette was panicking, furiously knocking on unanswered doors. Louis couldn't hear his wife's pounding over the deafening riot. The crowd then attacked the palace guards who were defending these bedrooms, parading their heads on spikes after. Let them eat cake, rang in the protesters' ears. The mob knew exactly who was to blame for the high bread prices, and they wanted her head. And for the record, we are just saying let them eat cake here for the dramatic effect of the story. (laughs) (laughs) Marie Antoinette is a very controversial figure in history, French history especially. Her fashion, spending, and luxury is remembered as a flashpoint 
for the start of the French Revolution. The queen thrived while the others starved. Mm -hmm. And we all know the infamous quote, let them eat cake, words she supposedly proclaimed regarding the unwashed masses. Or did she? Today, we're getting to the bottom of the lifetimes and death of Marie Antoinette. Jess, have you seen the Sofia Coppola movie, Marie Antoinette, with Kirsten no, Dunst? No, I haven't. It's, I, it's, I, I've wanted to for so long and just have not. Is it good? I think you would like it. It is very much a movie that is decadent unto itself. So it mm-hmm. feels like the movie it's, is a representation of Marie Antoinette. Okay. And I'm sure that things are fudged, obviously, for storytelling and entertainment. And, or we don't certainly, like, Sofia Coppola could not know exact circumstances, just what she has to go by in records. Sure. But I think it definitely, like, paints this uh, late 2000s indie rock scene, <laughs> uh, kind <laughs> of like uh, rose-colored glasses version of Marie Antoinette's life, which is fun. That's the way it seemed in the trailer as well. When, yes. when I watched that, I was like, that looks like something I could get into, yeah, but I like, just haven't watched it. There's a scene where the band Phoenix is playing. <laughs> okay. It. Like, it definitely <laughs> is taking liberties in some ways. But then there's a lot about it that we kind of talk about in this episode that it does get right. Okay, and that's good to know. That That is my biggest basis for Marie Antoinette is that movie. Okay, cool. Other than um, the stories we've heard and yeah. research, but yeah, cool. She wasn't always Marie Antoinette, though. First, she was Marie Antonia, born at 8.30 in the evening on November 2nd, 1755 in Vienna, Austria. She was the youngest daughter of Empress Maria Theresa, the ruler of the Habsburg Empire. Her birth took place on All Souls Day, a day of mourning in the Catholic Church. Perhaps maybe an omen for her life to come? I think her family thought so because in the future they insisted on celebrating her birthday on November 1st, which is All Saints Day. Makes sense. Yeah. The Empress and her youngest daughter had a difficult but loving relationship. The Empress was very strict and had little patience uh, for her daughter's creative affliction. And again, this is the... uh... 18th century here. So we're starting, we're seeing the gender roles. Her creative affliction was just that she was good at art (laughs) and not math. Um, And this made Maria Antonia not a great student. She also had a tendency to manipulate her governess and caretakers into doing her schoolwork for her. Yeah. I love that she just had a mind of her own. Yeah. Just love it. <laughs> couldn't couldn't read or write though. <laughs> yeah, that we'll get yeah, we'll say very she independent. Read write, but. <laughs> yeah. but hey, I'm sure she she really wanted to. Yeah. Um uh Maria Antonio was barely able to write at the age of 10. Conversations with the princess were often stilted and awkward, but you know, she was a great musician. Oh yeah, she got down on the harp, the harpsichord, the flute. She was a great dancer, sang for guests when they visited the palace. I'm thinking like Sound of Music vibes here, <laughs> the kids on the stairs. Yeah. Uh, she loved dolls and had a particular girlish charm, which makes sense given that she herself kind of became this like living doll. Mm-hmm. This immaturity was commented on by her tutor, Matthew Jacques de Vermont. Vermont found uh, Maria Antonio to be less than satisfactory in her ed- education. She could still barely write at age 13. Mm-hmm, but boy, was she headstrong. <laughs> yes. you know? um, and Vermont did report back to the French palace that her character, her heart are excellent. So he nice things, even though he also thought that she was lazy and frivolous and unteachable. Empress Marie Theresa had decided it was time to end hostilities with her longtime enemy, King Louis XV of France, hence why Vermont arrived in Vienna in 1768 to prepare 13-year-old Maria Antonio to become a wife and a queen. And I can only picture 
Louis the Sixteenth as Jason Schwartzman, who is in the uh, movie yeah. playing him. Uh, on February seventh, seventeen seventy, King Louis the Fifteenth uh, asked for fourteen-year-old, fourteen-year-old. She's a preteen. Um, Maria Antonia's hand in marriage. She was to be married to his youngest heir, Louis Auguste Berry, or Louis the Sixteenth. It was settled. The French-Australian alliance would be secured through the marriage of teen heirs. On April 19, 1770, Maria Antonio renounced her Austrian home and married Louis XVI by proxy. Yeah, and by proxy, we mean that he was not there for his wedding. <laughs> the 14-year-old bride had her brother, Archduke Ferdinand, uh, ever heard of him, uh, <laughs> stand in place of her groom. I would think that would be a little bit awkward to be pretending that you're brother is about to be your husband. Yeah, that's very strange. Yeah. Yes. But less than two weeks later, Maria Antonia was escorted uh, to France by 57 carriages, 117 footmen, and 376 horses. Yes. Love on, it. Yeah. <laughs> More horses than people yes. present. Uh, on May 14th, 1770, the Dauphin and Marie Antoinette, as she was now being formally called, finally met at the edge of the forest of Compagnie. Young Marie Antoinette excitedly jumped out of her carriage and ran to her new groom, who was so shy that he would not even look at her. King Louis XV was immediately smitten with his new bubbly granddaughter-in-law. She was so cute. She was adorable. She had this, like, thick, ash-blonde hair, piercing gray eyes, and just, like, a perfect complexion. However, the French believed her beautiful appearance was marred by her pouty Austrian lower lip. I actually think of Kristen Dunst from Interview the Vampire because she, oh, had, yeah, like, you know what I mean? Which, like, age wise um, would make more sense, I yeah. guess, for her portraying that. Yeah. 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 Young Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette were married two days later on May 16, 1770, in the Royal Chapel of Versailles. After the day's festivities, it was time for the last wedding ritual. This was to be the beginning of many problems for the extremely young couple. Oh, yeah, woof. And they do cover this in the movie, and it's very awkward. Great. <laughs> um, because their bedding ritual, you know, them consummating their marriage was a public event. Like, they would just be in their bedroom, in their bed, getting it on, mm -hmm. and people were watching like standing mm -hmm. around them mm -hmm. uh numerous family members friends and people of the court gathered to watch the dauphin and dauphine witness the consummation of their marriage although it's weird to us i'm sure back then it was like this is normal this is what you do yeah and except they weren't even doing it right <laughs> which we'll get to in a minute <laughs> yeah the young God. couple was not able to perform under their circumstances the audience you know was very disappointed and would continue to be for the next seven years yes oh god wedding celebrations continue Continued through May 30th, 1770, ending when fireworks killed 132 people at the Palace de Concorde. So, yeah, we're starting to see like a pattern here of signs and omens, <laughs> if you read into that sort of thing. Yeah. The young new Dauphine was beautiful, charming, and mostly well-liked by the citizens of France, but there were people who did not like her for either her diplomatic reasons, many thought she was an Austrian spy, or very petty ones. Yes. Madame de Berry, who was the king's mistress, was real petty, uh, which is a lot coming from a mistress. Uh, and she ended up being exiled following the uh, King Louis XV's death. Yes, the king actually died from smallpox on May 10, 1774. Louis XVI and 18-year-old Marie Antoinette quickly ascended the throne. Oh, so they're still so young. They're baby, 18 years old. Very young. And king and queen. Uh, by 1775, the first year of their reign, it was obvious that this couple were completely different people. 
Yeah, by the time Louis was getting ready for bed, Marie Antoinette would be getting ready to escape the boring palace, sneaking out to mass balls. Louis preferred to be up at the crack of dawn, often when Marie Antoinette was just arriving home. She was a party girl. Yeah, she was. In April 1775, Marie Antoinette wrote to a friend, My tastes are not the same as the king's, who is only interested in hunting and his metalworking. Yeah, instead, she spent time uh, gambling, drinking chocolate, and commissioning wardrobes with her favorites. The favorites made up the queen's close friend group. Yeah, I tell you, this did not make her a favorite with the people of France. But uh, (laughs) yeah, her number one favorite was the Duchess of Polignac. Another favorite was the Princess de Lombal, who was her main lady in waiting. Marie Antoinette spent so much time with these ladies that the court started to consider it unnatural. People were gossiping about her and these women. It's funny because nowadays we're with the ladies all the time. Oh, yeah. You got to have your girls. I know. I mean, yeah, (laughs) definitely. This was people just trying to find a problem with her. Absolutely. Two weeks after ascending the throne, Louis XVI gifted Marie Antoinette her Petit Trenon, a small castle on the property of Versailles. Rumor has it that she lined the walls with gold and diamonds. That was not the only gossip going around, though, too. She was a spending kind of gal. She likes extravagant stuff. So she dominated the court with her fashion. She brought in band fabrics from England and kind of like introduced muslin to her wardrobe, which muslin didn't even really come into fashion until like the late Victorian era. So she was she was definitely like raising some some eyebrows at court. And a trendsetter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, she and she loved jewelry, especially diamonds and pearls. Who doesn't? When Marie Antoinette's arrival at Versailles, she received a diamond encrusted fan, a necklace of large pearls, and a diamond bracelet with her cipher M.A. She also inherited like many jewelry sets of diamond tiaras, necklaces, and earrings. Yeah, and I think people know her for this, but... Her powdered wigs. She loved like a themed powdered wig. Her favorite being the inoculation poof, which sported a club striking a snake in an olive tree. (laughs) It's Mm. wild. Think about balancing that on your head. Um, This hairdo represented science's triumph over evil and also celebrated Louis' smallpox vaccination. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Yeah, No, the queen's hair is said to have had uh, once reached four feet high. I mean, like, I, yeah, I don't know. My neck would snap. I just know my fragile ass. Yeah. Bones. I'd be like, how does this work? And, and her wings, her wigs were powdered with, you know, straight up white flour, um, a direct insult to the citizens starving from the grain shortage in France. So there's that. Oh, yeah. I mean, if like she walked through court and I got a sniff of her hair, I'd be like, what the fuck? The fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, we're starving here. And she's dumping this stuff on her hair. I know. She also like she she uh she is known for that hairstyle, but there were a couple times in her life where she had her hair shorn really short as almost mm. like a reset mm-hmm. because she was doing so much stuff to her hair. Yeah. But you know when I think when I think of like this you know, putting the white flower on, I think of dry shampoo. Yes. <laughs> Cuz I have Yeah, I have the same thought. I have some of these powdered dry shampoos and I put it on and I'm like I'm like Marie Antoinette. Oh <laughs> man. I wouldn't mind going back to some fun wigs like that just for fun times only, oh. not all the time, but and just, just make like it easier. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And maybe not four feet high because, I mean, she's putting that white flower in there. There's a lot of space to cover. It's not oh, just yeah. like a little bit. It's like and if you've got a gluten intolerance. <laughs> come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Uh, but living in the walls of Versailles made this young couple completely oblivious to the reality 
that people were living in France, the peasants. By 1775, the price of grain skyrocketed and mobs had begun rioting in the streets of Paris. Yeah, when her mother learned of her partying behavior, the empress was not happy. That same year in 1775, she wrote Marie Antoinette a letter telling her, You lead a dissipated life. I hope I shall not live to see the disaster that is likely to ensue. I mean, she... I feel like she had it out for Marie from the beginning, though. But Yeah. And uh, a major concern of her mother's was Marie's still inability to seduce her husband, produce an heir. The young mm. couple still had not done the deed. No, yeah. Marie Antoinette's brother, Emperor Joseph II, intervened. Traveling from Austria, he had a chat with Louis about his unwillingness to exert himself. Let's just say Emperor Joseph realized the king was, you know, doing it wrong. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, (laughs) In a letter to their mother, Emperor Joseph called the two, quote, a couple of complete blunderers. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Armed with the proper education, King Louis and Marie Antoinette consummated their marriage in August of 1777, seven years after their wedding night. Gosh, I wonder how much time it was before the letter went out to this. <laughs> um, Madame Royale Marie-Therese was born the next year on December 19th, 1778. This is their daughter, the princess. Following her first pregnancy, the queen became increasingly involved in politics, though some believe more for personal reasons than an actual interest in governing. Mm, however, Marie Antoinette was instrumental in helping the American colonies win the American Revolutionary War, insisting that France send money to the revolutionaries despite France's growing debts. And we're going to uh, find out why she would be so interested in this. Hint, hint. Uh, mm. There was a hot guy involved <laughs> um, after a message from our sponsors. It's the perfect time of year when the weather's warm enough to go out, but not so hot it's scorching, which means it's time for sunnies from Shady Rays. Shady Rays has premium polarized shades at an affordable price. They're an independent sunglass company that offers sunglasses that are every bit as quality as any expensive pair that I've personally worn. They are super durable. They have super clear optics, which is perfect for the outdoors. Shady Rays has a really bananas protection plan. It's so great. Their sunglasses are backed by lost and broken replacements. So if you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they'll send you a brand new pair. No questions asked, which is really great. Plus, every purchase supports the Shady Rays Impact Program, which works directly with nonprofits and their communities to make adventure accessible for all walks of life. I have a pair of Shady Rays. I love them. I wear them all the time. I have the Cypress sandstone polarized sunglasses. And I've, I mean, I've worn them everywhere. They've gotten so dirty. I clean them. They're great. It's amazing. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the season. So go to shadyrays.com and use 30mm for 50% off two or more pairs of the polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. When I have an upcoming trip abroad, my go-to travel hack is the language learning app Babbel. So when you're traveling, communication is clearly key to fully experience a new culture, and that's where Babbel comes in. Babbel's lessons are only 10 minutes long, so you can start having a real-life conversation in as little as three weeks. Babbel builds their lessons around real life, so you learn how to have practical conversations about travel super fast. One thing I really love is that they have native 
native speakers voicing their lessons so I can actually hear how to pronounce the words right. Um, and so another thing I really like is that you can practice um, the accent with their speech recognition technology as well. Um, I have a trip uh, that I'd love to take here in the future to Spain. And I mean, also living in Texas, you know, Spanish is a very, very popular language. So I am currently learning Spanish right now. And um, it's fun. It's great. I have a great time using it. Sometimes I stay up too late <laughs> using Pebble. And when, you know, it's like, I could just do one listen, but I end up doing five. There's so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Right now, get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash 30mm. That's babbel.com slash 30mm for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. Evil Dead Rise. Oh boy, I saw this banger in theaters at South by Southwest, and thank God I did because I was scared out of my damn mind. I don't think I could have watched this movie without being in a theater with multiple people because I would have passed out by sheer fear. Did I cover my eyes in some parts? Yes. Did I scream? Yes, again. Do I ever want to touch a cheese grater again? Um, I never want to touch a cheese grater again. <laughs> That's the answer. Um, but Evil Dead Rise was written and directed by Lee Cronin. The movie stars some incredible talent. Lily Sullivan, Alyssa Sutherland, Morgan Davies, Gabrielle Eccles, and introducing a badass new actor, Nell Fisher. What I love about this one is that like we're actually taken out of the woods and into the city. And it tells this really awesome but very twisted tale of two estranged sisters who are played by Sullivan and Sutherland. And their reunion is cut short by, um, you know, I don't know, some flesh possessing demons um, <laughs> where they're like literally thrusted into a primal battle for survival as they face the most nightmarish version of family imaginable. And when I say nightmare, it's really nightmarish for sure. Um, but tickets are on sale now. Get them right now to see Evil Dead Rise in theaters April 21st. And bring your friends because you will absolutely need somebody to hold you for dear life. And if you want to check out some more information, you can go to EvilDeadRiseMovie.com. So back to the show. Yeah, one of the suspected reasons for the sudden interest in politics was Marie's lover, Count Versant. Four years earlier at a masquerade ball, Marie Antoinette had met the 18-year-old Count who would end up falling deeply in love with her. Ugh, young love. The Petit Trianon became the lover's paradise, though their relationship is mysterious. Count Forsan burned his letters and journals following Marie Antoinette's death. Yeah, they had this like little cottage and they were always Sneaky. hanging out in it, having sex the right way for once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, in one of her letters to the Count, she said, I can tell you that I love you. Yes. Oh, he returned to Versailles in 1783 after fighting on behalf of France in the American Revolution. What a G. What a G. In a letter to his sister, he swore off marriage because he could not be with the one he loved. That summer, so sweet, that summer of 1783, he visited Marie Antoinette almost every day at the Petit Trayon. Like, get a job, dude. <laughs> 
stop it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by then, Marie Antoinette's daughter, Mary Therese, the little princess, was three years old, and her son, uh, Louis Joseph, Marie's son, not Mary Therese, uh, the Dauphin of France, was one and a half years old. The Dauphin was born on October 22nd, 1781. Two years earlier, Marie Antoinette is said to have suffered a horrible miscarriage. However, some researchers believe that she was actually experiencing irregular bleeding due to the menstrual issues which plagued the queen until her death. So I'm wondering if this was, um, and is it endometriosis? It could have been. Like, that's what right? I thought. Like, because that's not a thing that obviously we figured out until way later. But I'm like, that's like the thing that I can think of that is still actually common now with women that maybe she had. Maybe she did. I, I think you're probably right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then there was like no question uh, when she was she miscarried the second time on November 2nd, 1783, the night of her 28th birthday. It was super traumatic for her and deeply affected her. Absolutely. But two years later, on March 17, 1785, Marie Antoinette gave birth to her second son, Louis Charles. The return of Count Fersson exactly nine months earlier was not lost on the public. Yes, there were rumors that the two were romantically involved and that Louis Charles may have actually been Count Fersson's son. In fact, there were a lot more rumors swirling around about Marie Antoinette. Yeah, yeah, she was the queen. Gossip, everyone loved talking about her. Mm-hmm. French journalists routinely reported gossip about the immoralities of the court. Marie Antoinette supposedly partook in the German vice lesbianism with her ladies-in-waiting. Rumors have it that she also sent copious amounts of money to her undeserving homeland, Austria. <laughs> I think, like, okay, first of all, if she was getting down with her girls, so what? Exactly. Okay. She's the queen, but it, I mean... I also think that this was just a smear campaign, too, that people were just trying to find whatever they could to insult her or, you know, undermine her. Yeah. And there was a lot of what they call it, lesbianism. That was going on a lot behind closed doors anyway during that time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, let people live. Yeah. Um, People were doing it all the time. General. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, like, disgusting rumor, though, was that Marie Antoinette was incestuously involved with her own children. Um, French libels ran drawings of her head on animals and claimed she was the evil Medusa. She was just getting, like, raked over the coals by these tabloids. Yeah, geez. Another thing that they got on her about was her spending. There was an uproar over the cost of the Queen's new rustic retreat, costing an estimated $6 million today, which is a lot back then. But by far the most damning was the diamond necklace affair in 1784. Yes, and I will admit, like, she was spending a lot of money in in a place where people were very impoverished mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. and starving. So, yes, okay, that's a knock against her. Um, the, the the stuff about criticizing her romantic life, I don't support. But no. this, yeah, I see why they had a point. Um, but, yeah, in this diamond necklace affair, she had been publicly conned by thieves, which kind of contributed to this spinning image of, like, an incapable and dumb young queen. The Cardinal de Rohan had fallen out of favor with Marie Antoinette, and he wanted back in. He met Jeannet de la Motte, who assured him that she was friends with the queen and would say good things. Jeannet told Rohan that Marie Antoinette wanted to buy a huge necklace for 2 million livres, approximately 15 million today, but not publicly because she didn't want to look bad <laughs> since there was <laughs> a distinct time of need happening in her kingdom. But the queen didn't want the necklace and actually had already turned down the offer to buy it. Jeannet, pretending to be the queen through letters, convinced Rohan to facilitate the purchase of the necklace to be paid off in installments. 
Once Rohan convinced the jewelers to allow him to leave with the necklace, he brought it to Janae's house. A valet of the queen, or so Rohan thought, picked up the necklace and left. What really happened was Janae and the valet took off for London and chopped up the necklace, selling it across Britain. Janae was caught and imprisoned, but the valet and the necklace were never found. Yeah, and Marie Antoinette had no idea what the jewelers were talking about when they came looking for their money in 1775. The queen's selfish spending and gullible idiocy was on the front page of Libelles once again, as well as more rumors of a lesbian affair spread by Janae herself when she got out of jail. Public sentiment was that the queen had ruined France's finances. Maybe, maybe a bit true. Um, and she was given the nickname Madame Vedefici. Marie Antoinette attempted to fight back with propaganda that portrayed her as a caring mother, commissioning paintings that showed her embracing her surviving children. During this time, she became even more involved in France's politics, too. She was the first queen to actually participate in the King Council in over 175 years. And she was, like, making major behind-the-scenes decisions, too. Damn. But politics were not the queen's main priority. By 1787, she had two children, six with tuberculosis, which uh, we have covered many times. TB. Yeah. June 19th, 1787, Princess Sophie died at the age of one. Uh, yeah. Uh, this, the future of her children is even more sad. But um, mm. the Dauphin Louis Joseph was suffering from backbreaking tuberculosis. And Marie Antoinette feared every day she would lose another child. And not only another child, but this is France's heir, her firstborn. Sure. Yeah, but she pushed on. She's she's strong-willed. In August 1788, Marie Antoinette reinstated Jacques Necker as France's finance minister. It was a popular move during the fiscal crisis. He represented the commoners in an attempt to check the power of the aristocrats. Uh, Necker had been France's finance minister before, but he was fired in 1781 for making the country's pu budget public. NDA, come on, Necker. Mm -hmm. uh, the royal family typically kept the country's budget and their spending secret. I wonder why. <laughs> More tragedy was to come. The death of the young Dauphin Louis Joseph on June 4th, 1789, brought the royal family to their knees. Yeah, and his death was largely ignored by the public because they were all focused on the next budget meeting to fix the ongoing bread crisis. Marie Antoinette went into deep, deep mourning. Simultaneously, rumors about her wanting to bathe in the blood of poor commoners continue to spread like wildfire. Uh, so, yeah, she's getting the smear campaign against her. And then all these calls for political reform are starting to gain traction. The third estate, a.k.a. the commoners, they want to gain control. And then, like, there are murmurs of them implementing a constitutional monarchy. So things are not looking up for no. Marie and Louis. No, and upon hearing this, the royals locked Necker out of his office. So on the tennis court of Versailles, the third estate declared itself a national assembly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, on the tennis court. It was <laughs> wild. Uh, the, the tennis court oath, as it became known, declared the revolutionaries would not separate before they were given a constitution to the nation. Marie Antoinette staunchly opposed reforms and impressed upon Louis to do the same. She fired Necker on July 11, 1789. Her plan was to crush the revolution by sending Swiss troops to Petty. Uh, and I mean, they may have survived if uh, they had just gone with it. <laughs> yes. But yeah, tensions were extremely high in Paris by this point. And when word got out about uh, the firing, Parisians rioted. This directly led to the storming of the Bastille on July 14th, 1789. 
The Bastille was the center of Paris and only housed seven prisoners at the time, but the towering fortress was a sim- was symbolic of royal authority and abuses of power. This moment is considered the flashpoint of the French Revolution. Yeah, and when the king got word of the unrest, he actually moved fast, uh, which was not Louis's repertoire, as we know, mm-hmm. uh, in the bedroom. <laughs> he quickly <laughs> named the Marquis de Lafayette commander-in-chief of the newly formed Garde Nationale, a group formed to protect the interests of the monarchy while assuring the revolutionaries. So kind of be a, a mediator, as it were. Following the storming of the Bastille, members of the royal court began to flee for their lives, including the queen's favorites, Princess Lambelle and the Duchess of Polignac. Marie Antoinette was in grave danger and feared assassination, but she refused to run, even as power was being slowly stripped away from the king by the National Constituent Assembly. Bam. Thomas Jefferson shows up. <laughs> like, like I know you're probably thinking like, oh, I didn't think Thomas Jefferson was going to show up. Nah, Sorry. he's here now. With the help of Thomas Jefferson, Lafayette drafts the Declaration of the Rights of Man and of the Citizen, which paves the way for a constitutional monarchy. Ever seen Hamilton, guys? <laughs> <laughs> this Never. is not what it's about. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, but despite the dramatic political changes, the royal court tried to operate business as usual, but the situation in Paris was becoming even more dire. Bread shortages hit an all-time low that September. Oh, my gosh. I would not be able to handle it. I nope. live yeah, off no bread. bread? What the hell? Uh, and it was one month later on October 5th, 1791, when that mob of fed-up market women, who we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, broke into Versailles and demanded the queen's head on a stick. Oh, shit. It's getting, we're getting down. It's it. getting Maria. Real. Yeah, Marie Antoinette, barefoot and banging on her husband's bedroom door, managed to escape the starving protesters. The ordeal forced them to move to the Tuileries Palace in Paris, leaving their beloved Versailles behind forever. The royal family lived there in a form of house arrest under the watch of Lafayette's Garde Nationale. Lafayette disliked the queen, and she disliked him. He even threatened to send her to a convent, but was convinced by the mayor of Paris to work collaboratively with her, even letting her see Count Fersen a number of times. Get thee to a nunnery. Um, (laughs) Count Fersen tried to help the royal family escape Paris, but those attempts failed and ultimately just made everything worse. They were caught in Varennes 24 hours after fleeing and returned to Paris. Whew, that stressful escape attempt pretty much destroyed any remaining support for the monarchy. Marie Antoinette's first lady of the bedchamber said, In a single night, her hair had turned white as that of a 70-year-old woman. And the libels would not let up. They accused Mm -hmm. Marie of having more lesbian affairs, even of sleeping with Lafayette, who she hated. So you know that's just a slander. The family was now under even tighter surveillance. They were guarded night and day. Marie Antoinette was not allowed to close her bedroom door and her health began rapidly deteriorating. Mm, She's already a prisoner in her own home. And uh, the people she loved tried to remain by her side. But, you know, the Princess de Lombelle, who had escaped to London, she returned to uh, the Tuileries, ignoring the dangers she faced. And Count Fersen was allowed to see her one final time in February 1792. Louis continued to veto any reform measures that would limit his power, infuriating the revolutionaries even more. The Jacobins, the most famous revolutionary party in France, hated the queen and wanted her dead. They believed she controlled the king's decisions. Yeah, so the royal family, they're against these reforms throughout uh, that year, 1792. And then finally, you know, urged by the queen, Louis the king disbands the government, losing his majority in the assembly. 
Austria was attempting to invade France at this time. The French officially declared war with Austria in April 1792. The public was pissed. Marie Antoinette was trying to get her former country to squash the French Revolution. Yeah, and they already hated yeah. her for being Austrian and thinking that she was a spy. So, like, this did not sit well either. There was a big, big backlash. And this led to the widespread outbreak of the French Revolutionary War and the events of August 1792, which officially ended the monarchy. On June 20th, 1792, a mob of terrifying aspects stormed the Tuileries Palace. The crowd pulled the king into the streets wearing a bonnet rouge, which is a red hat showing support for the revolution. Yeah, then they dragged out Marie, um, you know, throwing insults at her, accusing her of betraying France and and also threatening her life. Um, After a good scare, though, the crowd let the queen and king go back inside. But this would not be the end of the chaos. The queen wrote to Fersen requesting that if anything happened to the royal family, Austria would invade. Again, the French people were pissed. Don't put it in writing, Marie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, On August 10th, 1972, uh, this is when, you know, stuff really is going bad. An armed mob broke into the Tuileries Palace again. The royal family were forced to seek safety in the legislative assembly. Yeah, that safety did not last long. On August 13th, the royal family was imprisoned in the tower of the Temple of Marais. The conditions were much harsher than those at the Tuileries. Princess de Lamballe was transferred to La Force prison after a rapid judgment was brutally murdered on September 3rd. Between September 2nd and the 6th, an estimated 1,600 political prisoners were killed. The revolution, Ugh. yes, was full on. Princess de la Belle's head was put on a spike and paraded through Paris to the temple jail for Marie Antoinette to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was not permitted by guards to look at her beheaded friend, but she fainted nonetheless when she heard the news. And, you know, this is when the reign of terror, so many... Uh, political opposers and and those that supported the monarchy are getting uh, murdered. This starts to really get out of hand here. Yeah. On September 21st, 1792, the fall of the monarchy was official and the National Convention became the governing body of the French Republic. The royal family name was downgraded to the non-royal capet and a trial was prepared for the former King Louis. Louis XVI was charged with treason against the French First Republic. He was separated from his family and tried in December of 1792. Mm -hmm. Accused of high treason, he was condemned to be executed by guillotine at 10.22 a.m. on January 21st, 1793. The blade fell upon the young King Louis XVI. His last words were, my people, I die innocent. The widow Capet, as Marie Antoinette was then referred to, went into a dark depression. Still, though she had hoped for her heir, Louis Charles would someday hold the throne. Yeah, locked in the tower of the temple, the guards blew smoke in the queen's face. They cut off all of her communication from the outside world. Just treated her badly, yeah, of course. Yeah. After Louis' death, the question of whether to kill Marie Antoinette or exchange her for French prisoners of war became central. Then on July 3rd, 1793, young Louis Charles was ripped away from his mother. Marie Antoinette literally fought those guards to try to keep her eight-year-old son with her. Yeah, this is heartbreaking. He he was handed over to abusive revolutionary guards who forced the young child to drink wine, beat him, and falsely told him his mother had molested him. The abused and imprisoned Louis Charles had made a full turn against his mother. 
Yeah, he was brainwashed. And then during her trial, he accused her of incest. And like he essentially put the nail in the coffin of her execution. Leaving her children behind, guards moved Marie Antoinette from the tower on August 1st at one in the morning. She was put in a single cell and labeled as prisoner number 280. Yeah, in this move, she bumped her head on the ceiling of the cell. One of the guards apparently asked if she was okay. And she said, no, nothing now can hurt me. This would be the most difficult period of captivity. Her husband was dead. Her children were corrupted and and stripped from her. Plus, she was very ill. Yeah, and like we said, you know, possibly had endometriosis. She always had these menstrual issues, and so she was, like, bleeding profusely. And then one of the female guards actually, like, gave her a blanket to sit on, and she was grateful for Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. She finally went to trial on October 14th, 1793. Her lawyers were given less than one day to prepare a defense. Just a few of many accusations against her included sending millions to Austria, orchestrating orgies, the lesbianism, and then the the incest, of course, was like the worst of all, um, an accusation that was now even being made by her own manipulated son. It was horrible. The accusation of incense by Louis Charles drew an emotional response from the stoic former queen. She refused to respond to the charge. Then on October 16th, 1793, she was declared guilty of high treason, At the time, her lawyers thought, like, maybe prison, life in prison at the worst, but the court condemned her to death. Yeah, Marie Antoinette spent her last hours writing a letter to her sister that she would never receive. She was forced to change into a plain white dress in front of her guards, even though she wanted to wear black. Yes, plain white was the color worn by widowed queens of France, which she technically was Mm -hmm. because of, you know, them. Um, And her once famed white hair was crudely shorn off and her hands were bound painfully behind her back. A rope was placed around her, acting as a leash that pulled her towards her death. She was brought to the guillotine located in the Palace de la Revolution. It was the same guillotine that killed Louis nine months earlier. And despite all these crowds and her impending death, she remained composed. She ignored the priest uh, that assigned her to get her final confession uh, all the way to the scaffold. Yeah. Marie Antoinette, I feel like she was done, you know? Yeah. She was just like, She's I'm like, fuck this. I'm <laughs> really done with this. Yeah. Marie, she, she stoically walked onto the guillotine ledge. She made her way to the death machine, preparing to lay her head upon the yoke. On her way, she stepped on her executioner's foot. And this is a... Uh, the the most badass part of this. Her last recorded words were, pardonnez-moi, monsieur, uh, je ne l'ai pas fait expo- uh, exprès. Or, pardon me, sir, I didn't do it on purpose. You did so good with your French there. Oh, merci. Ah, <laughs> Mon ami. merci. <laughs> um, I love that. Pardon me, sir, I didn't do it on purpose. At 12.15 p.m. on October 16, 1793, Marie Antoinette was beheaded. Her body was thrown into an unmarked grave in the Madeleine Cemetery. And then her head was given to Madame Tussaud to make a death mask of the former queen. Thomas Jefferson wrote in 1821, her inordinate gambling and dissipations had been a sensible item in the exhaustion of the treasury, which called into action the reforming hand of the nation and her opposition to it. Her inflexible perverseness and dauntless spirit led herself to the guillotine, adding that, I believe that had there been no queen, there would have been no revolution. It's kind of like victim blaming here. And, you know, she also was like, well, controversial. And yeah, she did spend a lot frivolously and, Mm -hmm. 
you know, she kind of ended up being the scapegoat for a lot of the events that led to the French Revolution. It, it wasn't just her actions that brought France to this point. Yeah, of course. She was, that's just not the... No. She widely... She is widely remembered for the phrase, let them eat cake, but there is no evidence she actually ever said those words. The phrase originally appears in a book by Jacques Rousseau. Uh, Rousseau wrote, Finally, I recalled the stopgap solution of a great princess who was told that the peasants had no bread and who responded, let them eat brioche. Rousseau ascribes the word to a great princess, but never says it was Marie Antoinette. Actually, he wrote those words way before she ever arrived in France. Yeah. Let's close out what happened to the rest of her kids. So Louis Charles died at the age of 10 on June 10th, 1795. Um, After the trial, he was transferred to another prison. He was put in a dark room and was supposedly barricaded in a cage. Food was passed through the bars to the young boy who laid in his own filth. Yeah, the story has it that no one visited him for six months and he was neglected. Um, He never spoke another word following those accusations he made of his mother uh, practicing incest. He died silently and alone from TB, tuberculosis. Upon autopsy, doctors found his body riddled with scars. He had been severely abused while in custody. Doctors removed his heart and placed it Inside a see-through crystal urn, Louis Charles was buried in an unmarked grave at 10 years old. And then there was poor Marie Therese, the only child of the royal family to reach adulthood. She married a cousin, Louis Antoine, but it was an unhappy marriage and they had no children. During her time in prison, she was never told what had become of her family. All she knew was that her father was dead. Yeah, and and while she was in there, she scratched words onto her cell wall that said, uh, Marie-Therese Charlotte is the most unhappy person in the world. She can obtain no news of her mother, nor be reunited, reunited to her, though she has asked it a thousand times. Live my good mother, whom I love well, but of whom I can hear no tidings. Oh, my father, watch over me from heaven above. Oh, my God, forgive those who have made my parents suffer. Oh, God, that was heart- this heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. She was liberated from prison on the eve of her 17th birthday in exchange for a French prisoner. She was taken to Vienna and lived in exile until the abdication of Napoleon in 1814. Then in October 19th, 1851, she died of pneumonia. And this was three days after the 58th anniversary of Marie Antoinette's death. She was 72 years old. Uh, and so, yeah. She made it to 72. I mean, it, 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 yeah. yeah. It's wow. it's a shame that like her children live such tragic tragic lives because they were innocent. Yeah. In absolutely. all this. And I know the Nepo baby conversation. Okay, yes. we're having that right now. But, we sure are. Um, we sure are. It's uh it's one of those things where yes, the events of the French Revolution, I think it attributed to the king and queen, but there were other factors in play. Yeah. And political. And I think the world was just changing too. Absolutely. And maybe a teenager and his teenage bride should not be made the king and queen and rulers of a country. I mean, yeah, you, God, you could say that for so many years in the past that happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, we're just not, the brains aren't fully developed yet. That's like, just, you can't even rent a car yeah, until you're 25. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, again, she couldn't read or write. Yeah. <laughs> for the longest time. Wait, could she, did she eventually ever learn to read or write? Maybe by then she okay, could. I feel like she then. eventually did probably not a, really great uh, reading comprehension. Yeah, no. But so just yeah. yeah, and you know, it's it's I think you can't disagree with the fact that she spent the country's money very frivolously. Absolutely. Like if I'm this is a very naive thing to say, um but like her spending the 2 million, like that's 
that was a cost that I just didn't money at that time, that much money. I just did not know. Like I knew, I thought that that was maybe the highest it could be at the, at that time. Um, the fact that she was just spending two million, was that on a necklace? Oh yeah. The diamond. Yeah. Just like, that's literally, yeah. that's insane. And people are starving. I mean, that, that happens now in our world. Oh, absolutely. You're so, right. I guess not right. much has changed, but it, no. I think also like you get in times of that with strife and people are upset and they're like, who can we blame? We need a target. Yep. And so this teenage girl got the brunt of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's yeah, these women in, in history that, that push the envelope and push the boundaries in a lot of different ways. And although there's many things that like she did that I definitely don't agree with, there's, she, she pushed some envelopes on, on some things. Um, that I feel like I've said this before and I forget which episode we were talking about. We're like, there's a bunch, cause we do a lot of, you know, episodes on, on things that have happened in history where there's so many like messed up stuff that has happened. And I keep thinking, wow, well, maybe we had to do all this before we could walk, you know, as in like they were, they crawled before we could walk or like to, for us nowadays to understand not to do these things and how to be, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. I th- I think you're absolutely right. Like there have been times where we as society seem like we're regressing, yeah. but I think for the most part, it's been a forward evolution or we like to think yeah. it has been. Yeah. Um, and who wouldn't want to live in a Trianon all summer? Sure. You know, a little sure. cottage with my pals. Yeah. <laughs> Having orgies. I was going to say, is this that too? <laughs> like, who also wouldn't want to wear a four-foot wig around town that just had flower? Anytime you walked away, just like little plops of flower behind you. You know? I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure the like a couple birds fly over, peck at your hair like you're a Disney princess. That sounds great. What a great decoration. It sounds great to me too. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been fun to learn about the life and times and death of Marie Antoinette. Yeah. And uh, next week on the show, I believe we are covering organ theft and harvesting and trafficking. <laughs> so <laughs> this is this is the stuff, man. Aside from like just like human trafficking, like I anytime I go to if I'm traveling abroad or I'm going to weird sketchy places, even around my town, I'm like, I will not get taken. They will not be selling my organs on the black market. I will not be used for human trafficking. And I just think of Liam Neeson. So oh yeah! I just, constantly, I was like, "You will not take any of my body parts, nor yes. my body in general." Yeah, there are a couple movies that I think of generally with this stuff. One is Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, but I also like, you know, James and I when we travel internationally. When I'm not looking, he'll like make little X's with magic marker on my kidneys, and I'm Stop. like, because he's trying to di- he's trying to divert the Stop. the you know attention to me, and I'm like, what? But as we've, established, really great. as we've established, yes, nobody wants my organ. <laughs> oh, that's great. Ooh, this is going to be a fun episode, guys. Definitely want to tune in for that one. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, you can follow us on social media at Jessica Blasami, at Elise Williams, at 30 Morbid Minutes. And check out our merch in the Rooster Teeth store, store.roosterteeth.com. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Well, for now, bad bye. Until next I want, time. Bad bye, Jess. I only want you drinking clear liquids. Between now and our next episode. No, no way. I'm going to pollute this body. You will not want my organs. Ah, damn. Boiled again. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.